studying Jonah, and we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, shall, I, yet I shall again look upon your temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And the roots of all, mount, all the mountains I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed I will pay? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts, that you would help us in our time of need. We ask, dear God, that you would be with Andrew. Let him breathe your spirit into our lives. Not that we can hear it just today, but that we can apply it to our lives going forward. We ask for your help, dear Lord, in this. Please, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right. Yes, we are in Jonah again. Uh, we're going to be here <coughs> for two more Sundays uh, following this, next week's Sunday. And then two weeks from today is actually Christmas morning, and we will uh, finish our time in Jonah. We're, we're going backwards and forwards a little bit through the book. We're, we're keeping the entirety of the book in our minds um, over the course of each week, we, we read it all together, and I'd encourage you just to keep reading the book of Jonah. Uh, part of it is because it really is one story that has to be told. It's, it's difficult to segment it out. Uh, and what we're going to look at this morning is really, we've been sort of marching through it with this framework, you know, who are we, where are we, what's the problem, and then how does that problem get fixed? Uh, we are, we've answered the first two questions. Who are we? We are the objects of God's affection. You know, even when we find ourselves on the run from God, God continues to pursue us. We are the objects of his, uh, his pursuit, his affection. Secondly, where are we? Last week we saw that Jonah's world, like Jesus's world, like our world, was a weary world. A weary world that was longing for uh, something, someone to come in and to touch it, to give it life. 
Uh, it was a world that was marked with violence, and, and we certainly saw that aspect last week. So this week, we're asking the question, you know, what is the problem? You may say, well, the weary world was the problem. We're, we're asking it a little bit different, though. We're asking it from, you know, when it comes to us and God, uh, what, what is the problem? What, what is it that, that makes our relationship hard? What are some of the obstacles that need to be overcome? How is it that we find the enjoyment in that communion with God. And so that's where our focus is this week. And I, I have a couple of different candidates for you here in terms of answering the question, uh, what is the problem? The first one is uh, not necessarily the disobedience of God. I was having a little prepositional problem this week. Uh, it's not God's disobedience, uh, but it's the disobedience that we have towards God or the disobedience of God's commands. Uh, so disobedience towards God. We, we saw that in, in chapter 1. Jonah gets the call, arise, go, kum laka, uh, get up, go towards Nineveh, and he arises and goes towards Tarshish, completely the opposite direction. And this, of course, sets Jonah's life on a, a trajectory that ends up with this book here. Uh, in the short term, Jonah is on a ship. The ship uh, is tossed by a storm which God had appointed. He had hurled the storm upon the sea. Uh, Jonah is identified by Lot as being the cause of the storm. Uh, the sailors understand that throwing him overboard is the only way that the storm is going to stop, going to be appeased. And so even though they tried not to, they ended up throwing him over, uh, overboard. The storm is calmed, and God appoints this great fish, and this great fish comes and swallows up Jonah. But what we understand here that is that being swallowed by a fish is not Jonah's biggest problem. Uh, and sometimes it's hard for us to stop and think about that. I was talking with Lisa, who's a little bit claustrophobic, and uh, she said, it's horrible, no way. I, I do not want to be swallowed by a fish. Uh, maybe some of you can uh, relate to that as well. But Jonah is brought down. Certainly disobedience is, is part of his problem at this point. You know, Jonah received a clear word from the Lord, and Jonah clearly went in the other direction. And, and that's part of what we have to wrestle with. Like, we, we cannot expect our lives to go uh, well when we have God's word and we decide to operate differently than God's word. Jonah, in this case, had a very specific word, arise, go to Nineveh. Uh, we have the entirety of God's word. And, and God has told us a, a lot of things in this world, in this word, about what it means to follow him and, and what it means to, to live in relationship with him. And what we'll find is that when we... Uh, we, we ignore or we just we find ourselves going in the opposite direction, it's not going to bring us joy. 
it's not going to bring us happiness. We're going to find discord in our relationship with God. Some of you know that. We were talking about um, Sabbath uh, in the adult Sunday school this morning. You know, God has told us in his word uh, to pay attention to the Sabbath day, to remember it, to keep it holy. And uh, when we blow past that and when we, you know, work seven days and when we don't rest and when we continue just going forward, we're going to find discord in our relationship with God, our relationship with our fellow humans, our relationship with ourselves. You're just going to have that pit, one of the congregants was saying, just talking about, you know, for years, just going by that and just living with a pit in their stomach uh, because they weren't resting, they weren't stopping, they weren't ceasing. And we find that, you know, when God gives us his word, there is, there's joy in obeying it. Uh, some of you know the, the phrase that if Jesus is going to be Lord at all in your life, uh, he has to be Lord of all. Uh, we, we can't pick and choose. Uh, there, there's no... There's no, yeah, this one's convenient for me to obey. This one's not so convenient. I'll just go in that other direction. But we realize with Jonah that a couple of things. You know, one, uh, and this is still on the topic of obedience and disobedience, uh, that isn't the final straw. You know, Jonah's disobedience isn't the final straw. Because, as we said a couple weeks ago, God is a pursuing God. And, and this God, Yahweh, keeps pursuing Jonah, and he pursues him by means of a storm and a fish. Uh, he appoints the storm, and he hurls it upon the sea. He appoints the fish to come and to get Jonah, and then to, uh, to vomit him back up onto the ground which is always a, a lovely thing to think about being vomited up by the fish. But you see God's care for his prophet, his prodigal prophet in that way. We see this, this forced sabbatical, this forced retreat that Jonah takes to evaluate his life and his mission as he spends about 72 hours in the belly of this fish. Uh, and it's this that we get a summation of in, in chapter 2 as he is thinking through who he is, who God is, all of these things. But what we understand is that disobedience wasn't the final straw for Jonah. And God keeps pursuing him. God calls him to consider, to return, all of those things. Um, and we further recognize that obedience and disobedience isn't the sole answer to our problems because what happens then in chapter 3 is Jonah obeys. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He follows the word of the Lord. But is he at peace with God in chapter 3 and 4? No. Uh, Jonah is obeying. He's doing the right thing. And he is still torn up with bitterness and anger uh, towards the Ninevites, towards God, towards the plant, uh, all of these things. 
Jonah's obedience doesn't necessarily lead him to the joy that he is seeking. And this is something that Jesus recognized. <coughs> Matthew chapter 15, quoting from Isaiah 29 and Ezekiel 33, where, where Jesus says, uh, you know, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the question is, you know, what's our biggest problem? Is it that we don't obey and therefore our, our relationship with the Lord is, is skewered? Well, it's part of it. Obedience is important, but it's not the whole of it. Because God pursues us even in our disobedience. And even when we obey, we can obey in a way that isn't bringing us complete joy. So, we keep pressing. What about this idea of distance from God? You know, is that, is that what is most important? The, the being in the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God, having a a robust and settled spirituality. Is that, is that what we're looking for? You know, there is some indication here that this is what's going on with Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 3, we're told a couple of times, uh, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, he paid the fare at the ship, went on board, uh, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, we're, we're told a couple of times that he was running from the presence of the Lord. I think I mentioned last week, maybe in connection with the benediction, that that term, the, the presence of the Lord, is actually translating the Hebrew term uh, for face, uh, away from the face of the Lord. We use that in our benediction where we say, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, coming from Numbers chapter 6. But this idea of face and presence are really tied up together. And what Jonah here seems to be missing is really that settled being. You know, if, if disobedience has to do with doing, you know, here is the settled being in the presence of the Lord. He even gives reference to it in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, I am driven away from your sight. You know, he, he feels that discord in his soul. And he says, I, I am not at peace. I am, I am troubled. Uh, and, and it's not just that I'm in a fish. It, it's having to do with the presence of the Lord. This is something certainly that we are to pay attention to in our lives. Uh, we are to pay attention to as we pursue our own walks with the, with the Lord, we're, we're not just simply human doings. You know, it's not just about how much can we do for the Lord. Uh, there is cultivating a being with the Lord. 
You know, learning to, to listen to his voice, learning to uh, spend time with him, learning to, to pray, learning to, to walk with the Lord. We've mentioned this before. You know, it's interesting that God, God calls people to, to walk with him, not to run. You know, the, life isn't just this race that we get through as quickly and as efficiently as we can. But he calls Abraham and he calls David and he calls us to, to walk before him uh, in a settled way. And, and here Jonah is feeling that, that brokenness, that, that discord. And it's interesting, you know, he, he looks towards the temple with this. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. This is verse 4. Yet again, I shall look upon your holy temple says something very similar in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. There are two things that are interesting about that for Jonah uh, and also for us as well. You know, one is, you know, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom. He was a prophet in Israel. Uh, and, and Israel, we're told, if you remember, our, our going back to Kings chapter 14, Israel was walking in the sins of Jeroboam the first. And, and what Jeroboam had done is he had replaced the temple uh, with uh, the idol worship at, at Dan and Bethel. And, and these were religious ceremonies that were meant to replace uh, what was going on in the temple. So he had instituted a form of religiosity, uh, but it wasn't getting to the heart of it. And, and what Jonah recognizes here is that I look to the temple because that is where God dwells. You know, for the Israelites in the, in the old time, I mean, it was the Shekinah glory. It was the place of God's dwelling. It was where the mercy seat was, where, where the justice of heaven would come down and, and the blood would be sprinkled and there would be peace and there would be wholeness between God and humanity at that point. And that's what Jonah finds himself longing for in this moment. He's saying, I, I'm on the run from you. I've been disobedient. My heart is, is not at rest. It's in, it's in discord. I'm longing for the temple, the place where heaven meets earth. And that really keeps us moving along to our absolute deepest deepest need because we can be very spiritual people we can be very obedient people and still not know the joy of true communion with the lord uh, we we can have everything look good on the outside and still be missing that thing at the heart and this is what i think we see as we continue on through jonah's story it is his true need and our true need is to come alive to the magnificence, the grandeur, the overwhelmingly amazing richness of God's free and undeserved grace. 
I, I just put as many sort of adjectives and descriptors together as I could. You can add to it. You can keep writing those things out. But Jonah wasn't getting this at that time. Jonah was stuck, and he, he wasn't seeing the whole amazing <coughs> picture of God's grace. And it was, it, was, it was stealing his joy, and, and he wasn't able to go forward. So how, how do we see this, or how do we think about this through the lens of Jonah? Start here. I, you know, to this point, we, we've been a little bit hard on Jonah. And I think it's fair. Jonah, we're saying, is the one that writes this book. I think he invites us to see his flaws. Uh, he's inviting us to see, like, this was a bad space for me, and, and this is not where I, I wanted to be and where I ultimately found happiness. And so he is, in some ways, giving us a contrast in order to point us to the one who is greater than Jonah. But there is another aspect, at least in this aspect, that we can really relate to Jonah. And, and maybe Jonah isn't as wrong as we think he is. You know, when he says in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 and 2, he says this. You know, when he sees that Nineveh is spared, he's angry. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, we read that and we think, Jonah, come on. You know, can't, can't you be a little gracious? You know, can't you have compassion on these people. And that's ultimately what God is going to say to Jonah. But let's just stop and give Jonah the benefit of the doubt a minute because there is an aspect in which he is absolutely right to complain as he does. Because he is looking at Nineveh and he is seeing a very, very wicked culture. He is seeing the violence that they commit to others. He is seeing the violence that is in, in, within their culture. And he's saying, God, if you are just, how can you just blow by all of this violence and sweep it under the proverbial rug, as it were, and not hold them to account? And this is why I didn't want to go, because I knew you were that gracious, and I knew you were that compassionate. And, and, and we look at Jonah, and we say, come on, Jonah, be a little more compassionate. But then we look at him, and we say, no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. And, and what Jonah ultimately says is, he says, if there is no justice in the world, then that's a world I don't want to live in. He says, if this is the way that you are going to be, just blowing by uh, the iniquities of people that hurt other people, then I would rather die than live. You see, there, there's something about Jonah here that really touches us at our deepest because we, we know that. I mean, even from a very young age, uh, you, you have siblings and, you know, 
your, your sister did this and, and she was the cause, she provoked you, you retaliated, uh, you got caught, your sister gets away scot-free, and, and we say, that's not just, <laughs> that is not right. I, I maybe was wrong for what I did, but the fact that they were not punished, that was not right. And we feel that even at a, at a very young age. And then as we continue to go, I mean, we, we see all kinds of evil. Some of you have had horrible evil perpetrated against you, or you have been witnesses to horrible evil being perpetrated. And we say, that is not right. That needs to be dealt with. And, and, and if it's not dealt with, it gives us real questions and real problems. And we may even be there with Jonah and say, if that's not going to be dealt with, then that's a world that I don't want to live in. Now, there, as right as Jonah may be, there, there are a couple of problems with where Jonah is at this time in terms of his thinking. You know, the, the, first, the first problem is that, you know, as we said last week, Jonah doesn't really realize the depth of his own sin. You know, Jonah is angry. You know, maybe there is an aspect of righteousness to his anger, but he also wants to see these Ninevites get it. And, and, and he is angry in his own heart. And, and we said, you know, that if, you know, According to Jesus' words, when we burn with that kind of anger towards another person, whether we actually do something with our hands or not, we are just as guilty of murder, according to Matthew chapter 5, as the Ninevites were in, in their working that out. So, so Jonah is, is, is alive to the injustice and the wrongness that the Ninevites uh, are undergoing or are committing, but he's blind to what's going on in his own heart. And Jonah needs to be aware of that. The other reason why Jonah needs to be aware of that, and he needs to be fully aware of it, is it seems that Jonah, like a lot of us, are, are operating out of this karma view. Uh, karma, very popular topic. Uh, in the world today, I mean, some of you, again, know our friend Taylor Swift. Karma is her boyfriend. Uh, you can even get the t-shirt that says that if you like. Uh, but the, the idea of karma is that if I do good, good things will come to me and accrue to me. But if I do evil, uh, then bad things will come to me and accrue to me. If you do bad, then I'm expecting bad things in your life. And Jonah is all about this. He's like, these people are evil and they deserve judgment. They deserve the violence that they have, per, uh, uh, that they have perpetrated. But what Jonah is inconsistent about is what he deserves. And, and there is this sense in which Jonah... Like a lot of us, karma for them, grace for us. You know, car, car, what, what you, you get what you deserve. But for me, I, 
maybe just a little grace. And, and, and one of the things that, that really highlights this is, is Jonah's experience. You know, Jonah is at this point where he is disobedient, he is at discord with God in his soul, and the way that he describes this in, in verses 4 uh, to 6 in particular, driven away, the waters close in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. It's interesting, in his uh, little forced retreat here, he's going back to the scriptures that he learned, you know, Psalm 18. It's important uh, that we hide the word in our heart because you never know when you're going to be in the belly of a whale. Uh, and you never know when you're going to have to call those words to mind. But he, he talks about the weeds wrapped around his head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Yet you brought me up. Uh, you brought up my life from the pit. Jonah is talking about here like a death experience. There, there is a line of interpretation that believes that Jonah actually died and was brought back to life physically. Uh, some people have gone so far as to say, you know, this is one of the things that made such an impact on the Ninevites. Uh, after this person, you know, came back to life, maybe had been, you know, covered with all these gastric acids and everything. He was really bleached, and uh, he was just a really interesting guy looking in, in Nineveh. I don't necessarily think that's true, but what we see here for, for Jonah is that Jonah very much sees his life seeping away, he sees that he is receiving the just recompense for his sin. You have cast me into the deep. I am driven away uh, as a disobedient person. But what is so interesting about this, and this is why Jesus is greater than Jonah, is that even Jonah's death can't fix his problem. Jonah, if, you know, metaphorically dies here, he's brought back to life, but he's still unhappy. And he still is at discord with God. His, his three days and three nights in Sheol cannot cover his own uh, distance from God. It takes the death of the righteous Son of God. It takes three days and three nights uh, in, the, in the heart of Sheol from none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Jonah, the one in whom both justice and mercy meet. It takes that death in order to truly set us free. I mean, Jonah here really goes all the way in, in paying for his own sin, and he still comes out joyless and lacking in forgiveness for others. But it is only as we are connected to the perfect death of the Son of God, when he comes out of Sheol, he comes bearing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
Like, that is the kingdom of God that we are promised in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is greater than Jonah, and, 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 and part of what we are meant to see here is that one of the things that we struggle with most, it's not just our disobedience, it's not just our lack of spirituality, those things are important, but really understanding the amazing, over-the-top, generous, non-obligated to a non-deserving people grace of God. When we really understand just how far away we are and how inadequate even our own sacrifice would be to pay what we owe. And when we understand what God has given us, when he gives us his son as a gift that we celebrate this Christmas to come into this world, when we understand the love that was in his heart in order to give that gift, knowing what it would cost, when we understand all of that, we begin to respond in a way that shows forth joy. We begin to respond in a way that, that allows us to be gracious with those around us. We've quoted this before. I'm sure some of you have heard it, but maybe some of you haven't. You know, Jack Miller, he says, do you really want to understand grace? Well, here it is. Cheer up. You're a lot worse off than you think. And we see that with Jonah. I mean, he is sinking down, disobedient, far from God. There is a chasm there that he cannot cross. And the same is true for us. You know, and we have to recognize that to really understand the joy of the Lord. We have to understand that it's not just a matter of a minor moral tweak to our behavior. It's not just a matter of we do you know, 95% of the work and we just need Jesus to do the last 5%. No, it, it is a chasm that cannot be crossed. Cheer up, you're a lot worse off than you think. But cheer up, God's grace is so much greater than you ever could have dared imagine or hoped for. He has crossed the infinite chasm in order that his justice could be satisfied and we could receive mercy. Praise be to him. This is what we long for. This is why we sing, Come thou long expected Jesus, uh, because we have a problem that only he can fix. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its reminder and its call to us to uh, have our imaginations, to have our, our minds expanded, that we would see just how great and how wonderful and how stupendous and how amazing and how absolutely undeserved and uh, magnanimous this grace is that you have spread forth in our life. And Lord, I, I pray that we would, uh, like Jonah, uh, come to a place where we would be ready to receive it. And, and as we get ready to even look at that next week, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and make us soft uh, to see the wonder of who you are and how you have crossed the chasm to rescue even us. 
Lord, we pray that you would increase us in our heart. May we marvel at the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.